Hello everybody, my name is Mark Clark and in this episode of Hacker Public Radio I want to look at Linux and BSD based firewall distributions basically distributions that are providing functionality that's uh, dedicated to providing firewall functionality on the perimeter of your of your network um, I'm not going to be looking at uh, running firewalls on a sort of desktop client which you'll be using as a desktop computer but rather as a machine which you'll use as a router or as a, on your perimeter of your network where it breaks out into the internet or into any other um, untrusted network that you want to protect your internal network from. The distributions that we'll consider here are based on the ones that I've used in the past or ones that I've researched. I haven't necessarily used all of them, but a lot of them we have used in, in production environments just to sort of test out and you know as you go along and you find functional newer distributions that have got better functionality, we use those as well. Uh, most of them are Linux-based distributions, um, but there are two BSD-based distributions. And I'll go through the list of, of the distributions we're going to look at uh, later. First, I want to consider some questions that typically get asked when considering a, a firewall. So people ask, you know, why would you want your own dedicated firewall? Okay, if you're a home user and you've got your ADSL router doing your firewalling for you, that's normally is okay. But uh, those firewalls that come on those those routers typically aren't very strong. Uh, after a couple of years, the manufacturer stops releasing updates to them. And if you want to add functionality to those routers, like let's say you want to provide VPN access or you want to start using a proxy, you can't do that. You can't really ex extend them. If you're SME, well, you want to use, consider one of these because they're a lot cheaper than buying some of the uh, commercially supported or dedicated appliance type um, firewalls that are out there. And of course, it provides a heck of a lot of functionality that a lot of businesses use, especially things like remote access to your office or secure remote access to your office, um, and also can save bandwidth with a lot of the proxy functionality that are built into these firewalls. So those are good reasons to consider um, running your own firewall. The next question I'd like to consider is what do you get generally with these firewall distributions? Because they're not just firewalls in the sense that they're preventing traffic, uh, unwanted traffic from the outside coming in and outside traffic getting out. They also have a lot of other functionality. Typically they have proxy servers built in, such as web proxy servers, uh, which is great for saving costs on bandwidth. Um, they also have things like SMTP um, proxies, which can intercept all the SMTP traffic, scan it for viruses and spam, all those good things. And uh, also other functionality such as content filtering. You know, content filtering is great uh, at home or in the business. At home, if you've got kids and you want to control where they're going, what time they can actually, the internet connection is is up and available. You can typically do that through these firewalls. And obviously, in the office, you can control staff access to to the, to the internet. Uh, I know a lot of businesses like closing Facebook and other. Um, and other popular websites, I know it's not a favorite with a lot of staff, but uh, unfortunately businesses are looking at uh, trying to cut costs these days. That often is what happens. The next uh, question then would be, you know, why don't you just take your favorite Linux distribution, such as Linux or Ubuntu, or your favorite BSD distribution, and then configure it yourself? Because these firewall distributions normally just aggregate a whole bunch of uh, available open source projects that already exist out there, such as Squid for the for the proxying, uh, Dan's Guardian for content filtering, uh, you know, HVP for the for the web filtering of URLs in case there's phishing attacks or some kind of poisoned website that that your staff are going to and those kind of things. And the answer is because these things are not trivial to, to configure correctly. So unless you're a security expert and you sort of spend most of your time playing around with IP tables and that kind of stuff, <coughs> 
it's better to to have somebody else who have already looked at it, put it all together and, and package it so that it works. Because um, the risk of, of getting it wrong when you're configuring your firewall, which is basically protecting your whole internal network, is, is you know the cost if it's wrong is quite high because people can get in and then basically disrupt your whole internal network. So I would suggest if you're not familiar, not a security expert, then try and use one of these Linux-based or BSD-based sorry distributions. Lastly, I want to look at the criteria I use for selecting the ones that I prefer out of all of the list of available distributions that are out there. Okay, so often it depends on where the distribution is going to be used as well. So it's not just a, there's a clear winner. So in some cases, you want a distribution as an easy to use and manage um, interface, basically a point and click interface. And many of these distributions come with a web-based GUI that enables uh, non-technical people to maintain the firewall. You also want a distribution that's easy to update. Um, you don't want to have to reinstall your entire system every time a new distribution comes out and rebuild up all of your, your rules from scratch because that can be quite time consuming and also error prone. And also, you know, you want a, a distribution that is easy to extend because some of these distributions will not allow you, or the, the way they're built up is not easy to, to extend them and provide the functionality which maybe they don't provide out of the box. Okay, now let's just go on to the distributions that I will be looking at here. Um, this isn't necessarily a comprehensive list of everything that's available out there, but just ones that I know about and have tried. So firstly, and it's also sort of done in order in which I came across these things. Uh, the first one is RPCOP, which can be found at rpcop.org. RPCOP is an open source, completely open source um, based um, package and community supported uh, firewall distribution. Um, then I'll look at Indian Firewall, that's Indian with an E, E-N-D-I-A-N, and that can be found at Indian.com, which is based on RPCOP. Um, I'll also then look at Viata, which is a new sort of more router firewall kind of um, distribution out there that's designed to compete with Cisco and um, <coughs> Juniper routers, and that's about V-Y-A-T-T-A, Viata.org. Then there are two BSD-based distributions. Um, I haven't actually used them myself. I've read about them. There's Mono War at Mono M O N O W A R L Wall dot org. Um, the O's are zeros in the logo, so I'm not sure how you pronounce it. And then there's P of Sense, um, P for Peter and F for Freddy Sense, S E N S E dot org, and that's based on Mono. Then I'll also have a look at quickly um, OpenWRT, which is basically a firewall for embedded devices such as your ADSL router. Largely, these uh, I can say these these distributions fall into two sort of categories. Ones are you can take a generic um, computer and install them on there, just like you saw any Linux distribution on your on your PC. Um, typically, you can you know depending on the size of your network, you can get by with a old um, desktop PC. They don't need to be too too powerful these machines because basically what they're just doing is, is, is scanning all the traffic that goes over the network. The other kind that you get are the ones which, like OpenWRT, which is used in embedded routers. Um, so that's basically if you've got your ADSL router and it's compatible, you can flash the firmware on there and you can put your own firmware, firmware on there. Um, it's much more fun to do that, uh, but also a lot more a lot more work. But you get quite a lot of functionality. And typically you use uh, sort of an ADSL flashed uh, router in situations where you don't want to put a whole PC down. So let's say you own a coffee shop or you own a little uh, restaurant of some kind and you want to provide free internet access, free Wi-Fi access to your patrons, then typically you'll use one of those because, you know, it's stuck up on the shelf there just above the bar or in the, behind the kitchen where, you know, it's not an ideal environment 
uh, for your for your computer, and you also you don't want people just to run up there and steal it, which is often often an issue. So <coughs> you, you know you can use something like OpenWRT or even at home where it's quite a lot of fun. So the question will be if you're going to use one of these Linux or BSD based distributions, uh, what kind of hardware do you need? Typically you don't need very powerful hardware. I mean you think of the kind of um, specifications of your ADSL router, they're not that that great. So you could get by with a machine that has 256 megs of memory. A hard disk doesn't have to be that large, it can be quite small. The hard disk normally depends on how big your web cache proxy is going to be and also how much logging you're going to be wanting to do. But even then a 60 gig um, hard drive or even 30 gig is, is more than enough. And typically you want to make sure that there's enough space to take at least two network cards because what happens is um, the one network card will get connected to the to the hostile um, environment, which is typically the internet, and it gets connected to your internal network. Um, one of the terminologies that I picked up, which makes it quite easy to discuss um, the architectural design of your of your network with people, I got from Ampicop, and uh, they sort of popularized it as, as far as I'm aware. Is the green network, which is basically your internal network, and green for good or go, um, everything is fine there. You, you sort of that's the network you're protecting. Then you have the red network, which is obviously the the hostile network, which is the internet where all your attacks are going to be coming from. Although you know, in 80% of the cases, most of the attacks are internal. But um, and then you have your, th your third network, which is called the orange network, um, and this is basically your demilitarized zone or DMZ zone. Um, so, what is a DMZ zone? Essentially, that's where you're going to put your machines that you're going to want people to have external access to, controlled external access to, via the firewall. So, you might want to let through, let's say, the web traffic to a web server which, you sh which you're letting your customers access, or you might be a file server that you're letting your salespeople or remote branches access. Um, and it's called the orange zone because it's sort of it's with control, so it's less danger there, but it's still dangerous because somebody could hack into those machines. Um, and the whole idea is is that you then that those go, those people who have hacked into those machines are then prevented from getting onto the green network. The only thing they can really wreak havoc with are the machines on the orange network. Um, so yeah, so the orange network represents a you wouldn't want to put your your sort of uh, file servers there that's got internal stuff on there and all that all that stuff. You put that on your on your green network. So only stuff that external people will need to be accessing. Okay, so let's get on to actually looking at these distributions. The first one that I came across a couple of years ago, three or four years ago, was RPCOP. Now, RPCOP um, is a community, fully community-supported uh, Linux firewall distribution, and many people use it and find it adequate. I liked RPCOP initially, um, but after a while you begin to notice a few, in my opinion, weaknesses with the system. One is that they don't have regular updates coming out that often. The second is, is that they have a lot of plugins, and uh, which is normally great. The plugin option is great, but it's also bad if the plugins continually break your your machine. You're not sure when you install them if it's going to work or not. Um, you install it, and next minute you have a whole mess. You know, your machine starts working, and that's what I found with with Cop. It just wasn't um, that easy to use once you started adding in the in, in plugins. Um, <coughs> And also the issue that I found with it was that it didn't really have, was didn't come standard with the outgoing files. So it was incoming, uh, and typically, you know, out, not an outgoing file. Okay, that's fine if you've got a home machine, but if you've got a business or you want to, you know, to provide sort of some kind of control of internet access via your kids at home, you need an outgoing file to, to sort of block ports and also to be able to control websites that people are visiting, a content filtering. Um, kind of mechanism. So I found Ampicop um, great, but but not that, but not in the long run. It didn't have the features that the other later firewalls started coming out with. Okay, the spin-off from Ampicop, um, and this is part of the problem. A commercial company started using um, Ampicop as a base of its firewall distribution. I think a lot of the, the developers of Ampicop, you know, were in that company. 
um, a company called Indian. That's Indian with an E. Um, and they basically took over, took the basic IP cop uh, distro, and then they made it a bit better. So they added outgoing firewall, they improved the user interface, they added some things by default, such as content filtering. And for a while, we used used Indian a lot. Um, Indian is really really great if you basically not that technical. Um, you want, it's got a nice, easy to use web interface to configure everything. And yeah, it's it's great for small companies as well, where they don't have a big IT department, and there's some sort of super user that's the company IT guy as well. So if you go and put that in there, you know you don't have too many support calls having to go out there and sort things out. So Indian Firewall, I would highly recommend for um for people, for home users, and for small businesses. The only issue I do have with Indian is because it's one of those open source slash commercial distros. You find there's some functionality that's only available in commercial. Um, also, you get the feeling that the you know they they use the the community for a lot of their beta testing and they've been on release candidate 3 for example for their 2.2 release or at least some kind of release candidate for a very long time before they put out a, a stable release um, but having said that it's, it's still quite a quite a good firewall um, one of the things that also that I don't uh, really like about Indian and I suppose Cop is that I find it difficult to extend and when I mean difficult to extend you know let's say you know already how to use IP tables or you know how to configure Squid or Dance Guardian you know, you have to go into these machines and then they have a whole um, different infrastructure or way of, of configuring and controlling those configurations. And so you have to learn how that works. Um, and typically it can be quite frustrating when you want to you want to do some, you know, something a bit more a bit more complicated. Especially if you, you have to go and change their config files and understand how they how they get read and, and um, you know, at runtime or at, at boot up, how they get used to configure the actual machine. Um, and then this is a limitation which, which I found with both Indian and RPCOP was that if you want to do anything fancy on the red interface, for example, you want to do bonding, so you've got two ADSL lines when you bond them together, or you want to do load balancing across them, typically, um, like yeah, in South Africa, you want a local ADSL line, which is a lot cheaper, so that's only traffic that's meant for locally in the South African um within South Africa and then you have one which does your international um, bandwidth which is a lot more expensive so you can use a local one for tr for all of your SMTP traffic for things like uh, connecting to remote branches if you've got a VPN over them all of those things and that you can't really do that easily in, in um, Indian Firewall or in, in ARMPCOP for that matter Okay, before I'm um, considering Viata, which I mentioned, which was next in the kind of list, I just want to quickly touch on Mono and well, Mono Wall and PFSense. Now, these are BSD-based distros. I haven't used them myself. Um, the Mono Wall from its website says that it loads everything into RAM, and uh, this is one of its, its limitations, apparently, um, because obviously, as everything is in RAM, you know, you need a lot of RAM. You can't store everything on disk, which makes it. Uh, only suitable for smaller embedded devices. Um, whereas PFSense, which is based on MonoWall, um, actually it's designed to use disks, um, run off disks and all of those good things. So it provides a lot of the functionality. From the screenshots and the documentation on this site, I think this looks like a great um, potential replacement for um, PFC for um, RPCOP or, or Indian Firewall. Um, and it also allows for more complicated setup on the red interface in terms of having multiple connections to, to the internet there and bonding them and, and couldn't be able to configure those in, a, in an ideal way to take advantage of the different, um, you know, basically least cost routing as it were for your, for your local um, internet connectivities. But uh, actually, as I said, I haven't actually used it myself, so if guys want to go there, check it out and, and have a look at the PFSense um, website. 
Okay, so I'd like to look at Viata now. Viata I came across recently, and Viata is a industrial strength uh, replacement for Cisco and Juniper routers. So it's much more uh, hardcore, if you like. It's you know designed for those like for ISPs that have a lot of interconnects. Um, you know, you're connecting major networks together, so not necessarily just home users or your business. You're connecting to your ISPs network and all of that. It's it's really is quite a quite a um, powerful firewall and router. What I like about it is that it's got a it's easy to extend because basically it uses the core um the core functionality that comes with Linux and there's various open source applications and provides just a thin layer on top to, to configure it. Um Viata might be considered not that user friendly to people who, d- who prefer to use a GUI so I recommend that people who don't really know that much about networking or how to configure Linux stick with either um, Indian or, or PSense to configure. The reason I do like Viata is you put into those situations where you have, you know, you might have a client who fancies himself to be a computer user and likes to go and mess with the firewall rules all the time and then they break it and then they call you in. So if you want, if you don't want them to do that, uh, where curiosity kills the cat kind of thing, um, hire them with Viata and then they look at it, they, they don't have the, uh, any idea how to, to configure it or how to, how to touch it. So yeah, it might be considered a, <laughs> a negative as well as a positive, but um, yeah, that can help in some situations. So Viata is basically the firewall that we use now in, in most situations um, for, our, for the service that we provide when we, when we install firewalls. Okay, so then lastly, I'd like to look at the um, group like OpenWRT, which are embedded devices. Now, these can be a, a lot of fun, and you can learn a lot from them. Um, they're coming out more and more with, with GUI interfaces to configure as well. Normally, the, the hardest part is to make sure that your hardware um, router, the ADSL router that you got, or wireless router, is is compatible. Um, if you go to the openwrt.org website, they have a long list of devices that are compatible. Some of them are only partially compatible, all that, that things. Um, but once you get it, the, the main thing is actually to now flash it with your, with your new firmware. Um, once you've done that, then a lot of the functionality is available. You can download as packages. Typically, because these devices have limited memory and, 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 and flash to storage, you know, you can install certain packages on them, but you have to pick and choose what you want to install. Um, but they're quite nice. You can put things there like asterisk VoIP servers on them. Um, and so you can actually design some very interesting and, uh, you know, applications on top of them, especially for things like restaurants, entertainment areas, and those kind of things. And a lot of, um, as I say, coffee shops and restaurants tend to use them to, to provide this kind of functionality. For example, you can install an uh, application like Chili Spot on top of it, which will allow you to, you know, either you have paid for or free controlled um, access to, to, your, to your local um, internet connection there that you're providing to your, to your patrons, yeah, or to your neighbors if you're happy enough to, to provide them with, with access to, the, to bandwidth. Um, there's another, there's a couple of other distributions that spin us other than one is I think called Tomato as well, or Tomato. So if you want to have a look at that, um, have a look at the, uh, the Tomato distribution. Okay, so that was quite a quick run through, I suppose, of the, of the various um, distributions that are out there. If there are any others, um, people feel free to let me know. Um, and as I said, basically what it comes down to, my recommendation is to probably look, I'll say use PFSense, but I haven't actually tried it myself, but from what the research I've done, it looks like it's the best, um, easy to configure uh, firewall that's out there for home users and for small businesses. If that's a bit bit much, you can look at Indian Firewall. Um, uh, as I say, PeerSense is also nice because it's fully community supported, so there's no, you know, um, divide between a commercial and an open source version of, of the application. Um, and if you're going to be looking at more hardcore stuff, we'll look at Viata. It's very extensible. It can leverage your existing knowledge into the various applications that that you use, such as IP tables and, and Squid. And then on your um, embedded devices, I would use OpenWRT. Um, there's also DDWRT, but I've never, I never used that. OpenWRT seems more 
the architecture and the, and the source code is freely available and it's easy to use. With, w, with DDWRT, it also seems like a, it's got this commercial stroke um, open source divide. And it's always, from what I could gather from the forums, uh, admittedly it's a cursory kind of investigation, was that there's always this threat that they're going to close everything up in the next release. So best stick with OpenWRT. Okay, one thing which I think I should probably add at the end, maybe some for those people that need you know, to understand some of the firewall terminology that's out there. Typically, when you look at these these routers, okay, and um, you know, one of the concepts with the, with, the, with the firewall is that all of your external traffic uses netting essentially. So all of your external traffic arrives at the firewall, and that's seen as the as the source of of or destination for a lot of your packets. Even if it's not seen as a destination in the sense that the firewall can have multiple IP addresses on it, it will handle all traffic that, that touches any of your machines on the other side of the of the red interface. So whether they're in the orange zone the demilitarized zone or, or in, in the green zone. Um, and typically what happens is you use a concept called port forwarding for outcoming machines initiating connections in. So what you'll do is uh, the machine will connect to your firewall and you tell your firewall, look, if it's coming in a port whatever, like let's say 80 for the web port, forward it to your web server in the, in the demilitarized zone or the orange zone. Okay, so why do you do this? Because essentially the firewall now is, you know, you don't have to go and configure each individual machine within those um, zones to sort of have protection. Although obviously that's a good idea to do as well. But, um, you know, it's like some, if you're relying on some other people to configure those machines and you're in charge of the firewall, it's best to make sure that there's another layer of protection in case those guys don't do their, their job properly. So if you look at external access into your, into, your, um, into your network, then you will use the concept of port forwarding. Okay. So if you're going out, you have the outgoing firewall. Outgoing firewall, why would you want that? Well, you don't want guys on your internal network necessarily using BitTorrent if you're a business because that will jam up your network and you won't be able to um, you know, actually do your work. Um, and also there's all of the legal implications around that. You don't want people coming on your door and blaming you for stuff that your staff have been up to. So you might want to block outgoing, outgoing stuff, outgoing ports. Um, typically, the only outgoing ports that you really need to leave open are port 80, port 4S for HTTP, 443 for HTTPS. Okay, and if you're going to do doing administration type stuff, you can selectively allow port 22 for for those times that need to to get out into into external um, devices on the internet that they're helping to maintain. Um, the other issue that people normally like to look at for firewalls is to provide VPN access. Now, VPN access is basically secure um, tunneling over over the internet for connections into your office. So you can you can treat remote users as if they're local. They'll see the network is local, um, so they'll get an IP address from the local network, uh, the green network, and they can access all the all the resources of the green network. Okay, now when I say it's it's, it's like being on the network, obviously the speed is going to be dependent on your on your internet link. So it could be quite slow, and on the number of people you've got coming over. But um, this is really a great tool for companies that are using it to link um, various branches. So you've got a head office, you've got a couple of branches out there, and you don't want to pay for dedicated uh, DigiNet lines and those kind of things, then using VPN over, over, the, over, over your ADSL line is a great way to do that. It can also be used to provide access to, to your road warriors, like your sales staff. You can configure their laptops to connect by VPN, so if they need to pull down the latest price lists or other company information or access the email via remotely, then they can do that o over VPN. Okay, another um, kind of standard functionality that these firewalls do provide, and I have mentioned it previously, is this proxying. 
And the proxying is great for for things like saving bandwidth, especially if you use something like a web proxy. So essentially, it caches all the pages people go and see. So if it's a regular uh, favorite page that a lot of people go to, like some news site or the banking site, and that a lot of the images and things will be cached locally, which can save you quite a quite a bit of bandwidth. So there's also instant um, money saving that that can be made by using these firewalls. Um, and typically, on top of the the cache, you will have a, a content filter. Content filters are, are almost essential these days. Um, as I said, in previously, if you got a family and you want to control where your kids are going you can enable like you know you can disable adult sites you can disable auction sites IRC all that kind of stuff IRC normally you get disabled via the outgoing ports you can just block those ports so your kids can't can't use it and like the Skype ports and that kind of stuff but um, yeah you can use this and it's quite good as well a lot of these content filters provide things such as scanning or the URLs so they'll prevent um, users from going through these sites which are um, which have been hacked basically they've got exploits on them um, you know so let's say somebody goes to a site where there's a video and the video basically downloads a virus um, they're able to do some at least some level of protection for that as well um, and you can also normally typically have a blacklist if you want to add any sites which the full content filter algorithms don't pick up automatically you can block those sites so there's a money saving thing there and there's also a, a security thing so they can they can save you money once your network's infected and you have to clean your machines that can be quite a costly exercise and disruptive to your business so you know these firewalls all have a, a large amount of, of benefits that you can actually you can actually take advantage of. So I think that's really all I, I have to say. I mean, there's a whole lot of issues around that we can we can talk for a while longer on a lot of these things. But I just don't want to to ramble too much, and um, you know, people might have got what they need out of the podcast already. Um, one of the things which I one of the criteria which I forgot to assess all the, the different distributions against when I was going through them was the ease of update. And this is is quite a problem for for some of the the firewalls that are out there. I found that for um, Indian firewall, for example, there is no officially supported um, upgrade path. Although given the upgrades from the 2.1 release to 2.2 seemed quite easy, just took a backup of the config files and you reloaded those backups. Um, from the documentation, it applies that if the configs change, you know, the config file formats change, they, don't, they only provide an upgrade path for their, for their commercial users. At least that's my, my understanding as it stands currently. Um, Viata provides a full upgrade path. It basically, you'll just use a... Um, I think they're, they're based... They'll, they'll use... I'm not sure whether they're based on Debian or whether they're based on CentOS. Okay, I just had a quick look there, and I see it's based on sorry Debian. You know, so basically this was built on top of apt-get, um, and they quite just run a few commands and it updates us into the latest version. So uh, as uh, I only started using recently, so I haven't had to do a distro upgrade at the moment, but um, it seems a lot easier than, than the other distributions out there. PSN, so I'm unaware of their upgrade policy, um, but I'm sure the information will be available on their website. As long as you can get the, you know, it depends also on how much, how complicated your rules are. If they get very complicated, then you definitely want to wait to be able to back them up and use them when you upgrade. You don't want to have to go and recapture all of those port forwards and RP aliases that you're using and all of that stuff because that can be, you know, it can be quite frustrating. Suddenly your VPN users don't have access. Um, the, the, the boss calls you and wants to know why they can't access their webmail when they're sitting at their resort or something like that. Um, so best to have a upgrade path that, that is easy to use and available. Okay, I think that's it from me. Um, yeah, and hopefully I'll be able to re- do some more releases for you guys and speak to you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to Hack the Public Radio. HPR is sponsored by caro.net, so head on over to caro.net for all your hosting needs.